Hey, this is the second episode of The Debrief, a conversation about the previous Sunday's message to help you take the sermon further into the week and deeper into your life. Each week, we'll have a conversation about the subject matter from the message of the previous Sunday, and we'll also try to, as often as possible, include interviews and stories from people in our congregation so you can see how they're living out their life in Christ on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Today, we have a special interview with someone who will be a guest with us here at our church on April 7th. Pastor James Bullock will be our guest, and he'll be speaking about the difficult subject of depression. It'll actually be a part of a series we'll be doing titled Break the Silence, where we'll be speaking about some issues that don't often get talked about. We'll cover the issue of suicide, talk about anxiety, and then James will be our special guest to talk about depression. And the reason that I'm interviewing James is we've just had a message on burnout and he'll be our guest to speak about depression is that James found himself in a deep, dark depression after he was brutally attacked in Richmond at the church where he was a pastor. Uh, These attackers came into the church, found him there working at the church during the week and brutally attacked him. And it caused this deep depression overcome him. And he'll speak in his interview about some of the things that complicated that. And so I thought hearing his story would help you kind of apply the message from this previous Sunday. Could you give just kind of a brief introduction of yourself and where you're from and um, where you've done ministry and that kind of thing? Well, I started preaching when I was 13 and uh, I pastored my first church at 14. Wow. And I have been pastoring ever since. Uh, in Louisiana, and Arkansas, and Virginia for 50 years, I've been preaching. Mm-hmm. And now you live uh, in the Jolton, Tennessee area? Jolton, Tennessee, yes, and we go to New Hope Free Baptist Church now. Did you speak a little bit about what life was like after the attack in Richmond and how you coped with that? Well, um, I was diagnosed with PTSD depression, anxiety, panic attacks, along with all of that going on, had uh, childhood sexual abuse, or I was sexually abused from age six to about nine, and I had suppressed all of that, and um, that came back on me, Mm. and uh, pushed me down even further. I was, uh, it's just really deep. And I was in and out of the hospital so much. I, after my attack, I pastored for five more years, but I just uh, was barely making it until finally I went into such, you know, deep depression that my psychiatrist, my doctor, uh, my counselor, they all really, really wanted me to pull away. And my doctor said if I ever hoped to have any recovery, I had to get off out from under the, the stress while trying to deal with this at the same time. Uh, after considering all of that, after five years, I felt like it was better for the church uh, because I could not do all the things I felt a pastor should be able to do. And so for the good of the church and maybe for my recovery, I did resign and uh, retire. I actually spoke on burnout, and we looked at the passage of Scripture where mm-hmm. Elijah has just uh, had the showdown with the prophets of Baal, and then Jezebel threatens his life. You know, he runs away, wants God to take his life. 
kind of talked about how burnout can be like falling off a cliff and you just completely lose control. I was curious if that description of falling off of a cliff, is that something that you could relate to? Yes. You know, when uh, all of that happened to me, it just seemed like I fell into a deep, dark pit. Yes. Yeah. And it was then you moved to Tennessee. And when you got to Tennessee, did things get better or worse? Well, really worse. I guess I went through, uh, for two and a half years, just a mourning stage of losing my ministry. Mm. And uh, it had been my life. I mean, it's all I'd ever knew. And uh, I always had to work on the side, sometimes three jobs at a time for 17 to 20 years. I uh, just absolutely just uh, completely hit the bottom then. And uh, I was in and out of psychiatric hospitals, sometimes six to seven weeks at a time since I came here. And, uh, you know, uh, I just got real bad. And I went to doctors here, psychiatrists here, counselors here. And uh, it took me all that time to get out of that uh, darkness, you know. So you're in the middle of that darkness, kind of that the worst things had been. And uh, you told me that it was like one kind of pivotal moment that really kind of changes the trajectory for you. Yes. You know, my daughter always knew. In fact, when I had to resign, my son-in-law and daughter wanted us to move here with them, live in the home with them. And so we, we, you know, we uh, have been here with them now five years. And um, she said, Daddy, she said, I want to uh, start a Bible study with just you, me, and Mama. And uh, so, you know, uh, I love that because I wasn't able to read. I wasn't able to uh, comprehend or uh, even you know, keep retain anything. And uh, on that very first night, and it was a uh, Beth Moore Bible study (laughs) (laughs) that we did, uh, you know, and uh, it was, uh, I I started seeing just a little light, you know, I felt lifted up for the first time in all, all those years. But see, I truly believe that when I had to resign completely from my ministry, uh, the devil just made me believe I was through, washed up, you know, uh, God was through with me, couldn't use me anymore. I'd never be back what I used to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And I fell for it, you know, and I just gave up and give in, you know. Mm-hmm. But this studying of God's Word and uh, I, I, every week, as we studied, I did the workbook, did everything, and uh, when we got through with that, uh, the Lord just touched me. He just absolutely brought life. It was like a rebirth experience, mm. like I had come back from the grave. And uh, when I went back to the doctor, they they just could not believe I was the same person. You know, they. Even the doctors, all my doctors, my medical doctors, the psychiatrists, my counselor, they they just said, uh, you are a miracle, you mm-hmm. know. 
Wow. And they knew something happened to doctors and the psychiatrists, but they, they of course, didn't have a spiritual answer for it at all. But I told them I knew who did it. <laughs> right. And so I praise the Lord. I just And uh, after that Bible study, uh, I hadn't been able to read my Bible in over the over six years, seven years, and uh, within three months, I read it through. And I'm a Sunday school teacher now for about mm-hmm. a year and a half, and so it's just a joy and delight to be back in God's Word and being used of the Lord. And so God's proven that what Satan was telling you that you were done and washed up, he's proven that to be a lie and that Absolutely. he still has a purpose for you. And that's yes. great. It's just uh, unbelievable. It's uh, it's like, uh, Brother Daniel, I'm walking on a cloud. Mm. It's it's uh, uh, indescribable the joy oh. I have. And I get up at uh, 5 and 6 in the morning just full of joy and excitement for the day. Mm. And I hadn't felt like that in years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. God's good. Well, if someone were to listen to this interview and they kind of feel like they're in the cave, they're in that dark night of the soul, they feel like they're burnt out or they're broke down, mm-hmm. what's just a word of encouragement that you would want to share with them? Well, the main thing is the devil always makes matters look worse, feel worse than they really are. Mm that God has forsaken us, he has forgotten about us, and we have to look up and call upon the Lord and trust him to be able to pull us out of this and to know that in his time, at the right time, he will do it. Uh, that, um, and, and, you know, I think about people who, going through a lifetime of depression. And some of it's chemical, you know, uh, uh, reactions, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but some of it is spiritual. Right. And uh, so I try to tell them to seek help, uh, all the help that they can from the doctors and all of that. But the great position is our Lord Jesus. Right. And we must look for him to have any hope or any uh, victory and delivery from it. That's great. Well, I appreciate that word. And we're really looking forward to having you with us uh, on the 7th, April 7th. Well, I'm looking forward more. to it, too. Yes, I yeah. am. Thank you for taking some time this morning uh, to do this. And it, mm-hmm. well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being open with your, with well, your story. I can't how wait to working. meet you. I can see that the Lord is using you there. How long have you been there? 13 years. <clears throat> 13 years. Great. Yeah. Great. Appreciate well, it, brother. Okay. Have a wonderful day. All right. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Man, what a powerful interview. I am really looking forward to having James here as our guest on April 7th. Uh, so be sure to keep that Sunday on your schedule free so you can be with us for that special service uh, when he'll be here at 9.30 and 11 uh, to kind of share his story. And he also told me he wants to, to sing. Uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing that as well. And so that's going to be really powerful. And so hopefully uh, hearing that interview kind of help you um, think about 
Sunday's message. Now we're going to transition to a conversation that Pastor Eric and I had. We sat down on President's Day and talked about this past Sunday's message and how it can apply to life and how we make decisions and focus on our calling and keep from experiencing burnout. One of the things that nobody sees coming, but many of us end up experiencing. President's Day episode of The Debrief. President's Day? It is President's Day today. That's right. So who's your favorite president? <laughs> I don't know. Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. Yeah. He's been real outdoorsman. Probably more just for his personality than his policy. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, like, swam the mm-hmm. Potomac mm-hmm. In, right. the, in the winter. Mm-hmm. Like, just really cool guy. Yeah. I have to be Lincoln. Lincoln? For me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Any particular reason? Um, I mean, there was this one thing he did. He might have heard of it. He like, ended slavery. I guess so. Swimming the Potomac is pretty big, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. You make a valid point. So you've been talking about things that you haven't seen coming. <laughs> How many jokes have, about that? sermon series have you gotten uh just a couple um my favorite was we were at the mexican restaurant on a sunday afternoon and a guy who's a pastor at the wesleyan church in the next town was like didn't see this coming running (laughs) into you here (laughs) yeah it's great yeah carrie newhoffer wrote the book though said that ever since the book came out he can't post anything on social media without somebody commenting but you didn't see that coming (laughs) Classic. It'll never get old, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. He'll hear that joke for the rest of his right. life. Thankfully, I just have the rest of the sermon series. <laughs> right. Uh, so you've already talked about three of those ideas that Carrie Newhoff talks about. The fourth one was burnout, which to me was like, okay, that's interesting. I think I've only ever heard of like pastoral burnout, and that's because I went to like Christian college and stuff. And right. That's, that's what you were training for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I wasn't sure where it was going whenever you started talking about it, but I thought the the picture that you gave of coming to the edge of the cliff and like jumping off being burnt out, like just giving up, mm-hmm. totally giving up, that was like pretty apt and that's going to stick in my mind as like what burnout is. But you said everyone has been there, is going through it or is coming back from it. So there's no one who's just like, yeah, burnout's not like something that I deal with. Like someone's, or at least dealing with it in some respect, not totally burnout, but like been on the verge of or experiencing, I don't know, motion towards burnout. Right. Another term that probably people have heard in more common context is like a breakdown or Mm -hmm. a nervous breakdown. I wanted to stay away from the term nervous breakdown because I think people have in their minds like, oh, that's, that's really drastic. That's like you need to be in an institution or you need to be hospitalized or something like that. And so I wanted to stay away from that. And Newhoff in the book kind of makes it clear that burnout looks different for different. But it's, it's also not the other um, extreme of like the everyday, oh, I'm a hot mess today. Right. Or, yeah, I'm just stressed or... I'm busy. Yeah, so it's more than frustrated or it's more than stressed out. I feel like 
you know, probably a lot of people would say I'm stressed every day, mm-hmm. but nobody would say I'm burnt out every day or I'm on the verge of a breakdown every day. Right. So, uh, you went through the story of Elijah in this story. Elijah is in a great time of tension and stress and he is basically trying to prove that Yahweh is the one true God. Um, and Yahweh proves, um, he, he delivers, he, um, consumes the sacrifice in fire and the, the sacrifice to Baal is left unconsumed and the prophets of Baal are killed and it's like this great victory. But on the, at the exact same time of this great victory, whenever Jezebel finds out, she's like, we're going to kill this guy we're going to kill Elijah. And he goes into the total opposite extreme from going on the mountaintop to literally just like chilling under a tree by a creek saying, I'm ready to die. God, just kill me. Mm-hmm. This is really pushing him over the edge. He's, he's ready to die. His efforts have changed absolutely nothing for, for Israel. The trajectory is still uh, just idol worship and going away from the one true God. How did you feel like this specifically really related to burnout? I think that probably most people have can identify or relate to that experience of I've done all of this work and things are still the same. Like it's still just a mess or this is still a problem or we're never going to get through this or, um, you know, I think about like a police officer uh, he gets called back to like the same situations day in and day out or a parent who's trying to train their kid or discipline their child. They're having the same problems over and over again. And it's like they look back on all of these times that they've intervened or they've tried to help or they've tried to make an impact. And it's like, is anything happening? And I think Elijah in this moment, he just kind of felt like uh, I might as well just be trying to push back the ocean. It's, there's nothing that I can do. You know, it's, it's always going to be here. Right. And along with that feeling came the feeling of isolation. He thought he was the only prophet trying to do anything to, to cause any change. Um, and in your sermon, you mentioned uh, social media as not the place to, to try and push back the, the almost mental breakdown. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Try to not, try as to not count mental. as your counseling right. or your therapy. That's where most people get their therapy these days, but it's not a great place for them. How do you think that um, social media can even contribute to the isolation that we feel in these in this stage of life and periods? Yeah, so I mean, social media constantly shows us what everybody else is doing and that we're not, that we're not a part of. And so we probably all had that moment where we look at uh, a picture and it's all of our friends together and we're not there. Maybe that's when we first found out that they were getting together, you know. <laughs> and it's like, I wonder why I didn't get invited to this. Um, so it shows this is all the good stuff and I'm right now in the middle of something that's not great. Yeah, so we become isolated and we find ourselves in the shoes of Elijah. What does God do whenever Elijah's there in despair and ready to die my favorite part of this story god just makes elijah a meal and then has him take a nap Hmm. you know and i and i think i said in my message 
God takes care of Elijah like you take care of a cranky toddler. You know, you're just like, you, you need some rest. And you need to, to eat something. <laughs> and we probably all had that experience where we're like, I, I probably just need to walk away or I need to, I need to eat something or I need to take a nap. Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> I have. I have indeed. <laughs> uh, went through the horrible experience of moving on Saturday. And that is not fun. Yeah. And I think all I had done for a whole week of preparing was I, I went through my books and eliminated like 15 books that I, would, I felt like I could get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> so then Friday night, I stayed up until like 2 a.m. trying to start the packing process. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, I'm going to create a moving out Spotify playlist. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to make a couple cups of coffee and just stare at the, the work that I have to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it was, it was hard to get started. And then I finally did and I worked and I worked and I was like kind of going crazy and I, uh, called some friends, they came over <laughs> and they helped me make decisions, which is what I needed. And I just could not make any decisions for myself and like was not being very organized. And it was like probably around 2 or 2.30, and I was just getting a little frustrated. Didn't seem like the work was ever going to end. And finally, my friend was just like, have you eaten today? I was like, no, I have not. He's <laughs> like, we're going we're gonna to go eat. I think that's going to help you a lot. <laughs> and it did. It did. I made it through. And now it didn't end until last night, but I made it through. But yeah, you just don't even think about those things. Whatever you're in, frustrating situations. For some reason, the most basic things that you should do to go out the window right i um i feel like we need to pause right here and you say you have really good friends that would come and help you move and then make you eat something yes <laughs> yes it's the worst it's that is just the worst situation it was the the dark night of the soul there on saturday <laughs> yeah so something that tim Mackey in the bible project uh, talks about that's another podcast that's awesome to check out really helps in understanding the bible he he talks about um, looking for design patterns in scripture and one of the ways that we can do that is we look at the locations where things take place and we see the design patterns that are ingrained in those places and this story of elijah takes place in Be'er shaba which which means well of the oath um, and it's really referring to abraham's agreement with abimelech uh, for him to like buy this well that he had dug up and it had water. Uh, but before that, the first time we're ever introduced to Be'er Shabbat is it's the wilderness where Hagar flees. She's sent out uh, with her young son um, from Sarah. Sarah says that she wants her to leave and kicks her out of the camp and just sends her out into the desert. This is where she ends up. It's in the wilderness of Be'er Shabbat. And it's here that she sits her child under a bush and then walks away from the bush. And just says, God, I don't want to watch my child die. Just let him die there. I'm going to die over here. And this is it. And God appears to, uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar. And God says that he will bring a great inheritance to Ishmael. But he's not going to die here. And brings this great hope 
And then immediately after, she lifts up her eyes and she sees a well and she goes over and gets water. And it's like this clear design pattern uh, in scripture of hope. God has used this place before. And whenever we come to the story of Elijah, the ancient reader would be, would be very familiar with this story of right. Hagar and would know that something like this is happening. So whenever Elijah's here in despair and he doesn't know what's going to happen next and he's just ready to die, he's in the same situation that Hagar was in. Mm-hmm. And God uh, tells him, go get some water. <laughs> like, just, right. I'm, I'm not going to let you die here. And for someone who was reading that um, with a real grasp or a feel for those places, uh, that would have been so powerful. Like, like for us, when we watch, maybe, like, we watch a show and they they make a, a pop culture reference and we like get it like, oh yeah, they're talking about that show because mm-hmm. it's super popular. That's familiar to us. Somebody that wasn't from our era or from our culture would be like, I don't get that. And so that's something that we might miss. Um, but yeah, well, yesterday you pointed that out to me and I was like, man, that is awesome that, you know, it's one of those things you can see God doing. He does that throughout scripture there are these constant, constant foreshadowing and callbacks and all of that kind of thing throughout Scripture. And those are some of the things that the, the deeper you go into studying God's Word, you start to you see them popping up all over the place. And yeah. you know, your shout-out to Bible Project is appropriate because they do a really good job of helping you see a lot of that stuff. Absolutely. And we see that really even cultivate. And so the wilderness is always this spot, even... Zooming out a little bit from Bier Shabbat, the wilderness is always a place of testing. It's a mm-hmm. place of great tests. And we see the ultimate test come um, with whenever Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and uh, he fasts and he has right. no food and water and he's he's in the dark side of the soul. Right. And um, then he's faces Satan and he's tempted and yeah. Yeah. And at the end of those 40 days, the, the angels of the Lord come and minister to him. So it's this design pattern that's woven all the way throughout Scripture, and these things are all throughout. But um, the more we know the Bible, the more we can we can see these the cool way that God works right. in Scripture, and yeah. see the hope that He's constantly bringing. Yeah. It really is a great epic form of literature. God's response to Elijah uh, in the end, and his response was to go. Um, and the way that you put that was that we need to forget balance. We need to forget trying to spin all the plates of life and make sure that everything, we have enough of this, we have enough of T-ball, but we have enough of church. And then we have enough of having guests over uh, at our house, being able to host a good party. And we're, we're, we're a well-balanced person in all areas of life. And you said we need to forget that and we need to pursue the passions that God give us, gives us. The, the things that God has given us to be passionate about. Yeah. We just end up doing a lot of things poorly instead of doing a few things well. Yeah. Um, and when we focus in on what it is that God has called us to do, and we let him handle the rest, God was going to handle Jezebel. That was Elijah's whole thing. She was terrified of well, Jezebel. She's going to kill him. And God's going to take care of that. And we we need to focus on what we can do and leave the rest up to God. Um, I really like what Eugene Peterson said. He said, sleep is God's way of getting us out of the way every day. You know, and 
when we sleep, like we have, we're just letting go of consciousness and the world kind of keeps spinning on its axis and every day there's a few hours that I have to just leave it all in God's hands and, and yeah. that should happen more and more. That's really interesting. A built-in reminder that we're not God. Right. That's right. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have the idea that, um, they, they just have to push through for a little while longer mm-hmm. um, of just doing a bunch of stuff. Right. And if they can get to that point six months down the road, whatever their finances are totally in order um, and their kids are done with this season of sports and whatever, then that's the time. Like, that's whatever. I'm going to be able to really pursue what I'm passionate about and, pers- and like, be able to use the gifts that God's given me to be able to minister, to be able to you know, reach the people around me. Um, and we, we look forward to when this happens, I'll do this. But I think we all know that we can constantly say that there's, we never reach a point. Tomorrow never comes. Yeah. 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 There's, there's constantly something that's going to get in the way of you doing what you were created to do. Absolutely. You just have to choose uh, something over something else. There's always going to be a choice, um, whether it's putting the phone down or whether it's saying no to volunteering for something, whenever you know that there's something else that you could be doing that's better. Right. Um, For, for me recently, uh, I had to make the decision. I kind of said that I was going to be the cross-country coach for maybe a few years, um, whenever I began coaching cross-country for the middle school. And I did this season, and it was like three months long, which I didn't expect it to be that long. And I had a blast, and it was great. Lots of running, and it kind of built in personal, or like exercise into my, my daily routine, I'm able to interact with elementary students and interact with um, some middle school students and families. And I got to know families through the whole thing and had a great time. But coming away from that and then (laughs) I think I had like a three week break. Maybe it was a little longer than that. No, it was about three weeks, three or four weeks. And then I jumped right into basketball and I moved to Chandler to I lived in Boonville, but and work in Moonville, but I moved here so that I could work at the church. And I was basically hindering my ability to work at the church or be functional because I'm just exhausted after running in the heat all day mm-hmm. um, so that I could kind of have another opportunity to be with students. So it's right. kind of choosing, it's not even like choosing one thing that's like clearly bad and the other thing's good. It's like two good things, but what's the better thing? What's the thing right. that you're called for? Right. And I moved here to do ministry at Faith Brew Baptist Church. And if something's taking me out of that, then it doesn't make sense to continue. Right. Yeah, that, that's where we live. It's not, I don't think that anybody's really struggling with the choice of like, should I go to church or go do crime? Should I go to church? I would. I would totally go to church Sunday, but... I have all these other things, and good is the enemy of great. Mm. And 
our life gets just so full of all these things that are good. I mean, cross country is great. Coaching cross country is great. That was a good thing. But it's just a, a matter of Eric only has 168 hours of a week. And how is he going to spend those 168 hours is what you have to figure out and making priorities. And what you said was you will always, there will always be something to keep you from doing what you were created to do. And you have to choose. And that has always been the case all the way back to the garden, right? Mm -hmm. It's always been a choice to do the right thing. That's right. Yep. There's always going to be something more convenient that comes up or something that seems uh, like a better choice in the moment. But yeah, we know inwardly what, what we need to do and we just have to make the choices that get us to that place. And, and we're not even alone in that. Like we, we know that if we're, if we're being transformed by the redoing of our minds, that we are going to make the right decisions. Like we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, we know that our, we aren't going to make the right decision every time, just like Adam in the garden. Right. And so we, we have to change our, change the way that we think so that it's more based on scripture. And we need to pray about decisions. We need to think deeply about them, not make them rashly. Um, don't jump headlong into commitment. <laughs> you don't know if that's like right. really what you're created to do, what, what God has made you to be passionate about. But seriously consider every moment that you have here on earth.